This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14 and taking some time to continue in our study of Mark and how different people encountered Jesus in different ways. And it's going to be, um, it's just been a neat study to be able to look at Mark in this way and to be able to, to see what God has done in the scriptures and how he's worked to help us understand Jesus in a greater way. When I was a child, um, I was quite the adventurous little chap, and so I uh, found myself in quite a few, what probably for my parents, hair-raising uh, situations, but at my preschool, there was this slide, and I don't, you know, when you're a preschooler, this slide is giant, so I don't know how tall it actually was, but this thing was huge, super tall. And it was so tall that it had these support poles that kind of came down the sides to hold it up. So you can picture in your mind that, the idea of this. Just steps going up, slide going down, and support beams on the side. Well, in preschool, we had slid down this slide hundreds of times. And I guess what happened was that that became kind of routine and mundane for me. So I thought I would find a different way to go down the slide. At the top of the slide, when you, when, you when you went to the top of the ladder, there was this cage that kept you from going off the side, obviously. But <clears throat> it wasn't, I guess, developed well enough back in those days, way back in the 80s. And so um, I actually crawled around the outside of the cage because what I wanted to do was actually slide down the support beam. Okay? Well... What happened was when I got around the outside of the cage, I didn't quite get a good grip on the support beam and then down I went. And my right arm was the first thing that caught me as I hit the ground and it just broke like that. And so back in the 80s, actually my principal of the school put me in her car and took me to the hospital and met my mom there. Now they would never allow that anymore, but you know, that was back in the 1900s. We used to do stuff like that. <laughs> so um, that was the first time that I broke my right arm. The second time I broke my right arm was when I was in eighth grade, and I was moving a pile of rocks with a wheelbarrow, and the wheelbarrow went into this. I was going down this driveway. We have this steep driveway in front of the mountains. The wheelbarrow got out of control. It was heavy. It went into this ditch, threw me up in the air like this, and I caught myself on my right arm. This time it bent my arm. It didn't break, it just bent it. Weird, right? Well, and then we fast forward to the 21st century, and I just recently built a treehouse for my kids. And somehow in the midst of building a treehouse, I, on my right arm, tore my rotator cuff. So my right arm has suffered quite a bit. So right now, currently, my rotator cuff is torn in my right arm, and it's awkward to move and hurts and all that kind of stuff. And so my arm has been broken, or is currently technically broken, multiple times. And today, as we look at the scriptures, we're going to be talking about broken things. We're going to be talking about things that are poured out. We're going to be specifically talking about Jesus as he was broken and poured out. 
So let's look at Mark chapter 14. Now, we're going to kind of overview this a little bit. Pastor Lawrence preached on Jesus being anointed at Bethany. We talked about that a little bit um, a few weeks ago. If you look at Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, you see Judas is actually going to betray Jesus in that passage. It talks about that. Um, verses 12 through 21, Jesus is having the Passover feast with his disciples. He's preparing for it, and at the feast, he actually announces to the disciples that Judas is going to betray him. Verses 22 through 25 is another section where Jesus is actually with the, the disciples having the Passover. We call this the Last Supper a lot of times because this is Jesus literally. This is his last Passover. It's actually his last day on earth before his um, trial and execution, and he knows it. And he actually, in Mark, he shows us this in some of the other Gospels, he actually changes the terminology of the Passover feast to show us that he actually knows this, that it's coming. And then in verses 26 through 31, we see that Jesus prophesies Peter's denial. And then in verses 32 through 42, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, very distressed over what's going on. You know, this, is, this has to be a very lonely, isolating time in Jesus' life. I mean, I can't imagine being betrayed by one of his disciples. Again, being denied by one of his closest disciples, probably his best friend. Knowing he's about, knowing in his, because he's God and man, but knowing he's going to be executed. And then in the garden, feeling what that execution is going to be. He's feeling all that inside of him. And so we look at passages like um, Jesus is in, the, in 1412, in the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples are asking him, where are we going to celebrate Passover? Uh, Passover. We go forward a little bit. Um, he's sitting there with the uh, 12, and he says this um, for the, in verse 21, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man, Judas in this case, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So then they sing a hymn. They go to the, the garden um, he foretells that Peter's going to deny him. He says this in verse 27, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then he tells them he's going to be raised up. And he will go before them to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, basically, Yeah, you will. <laughs> it's going to happen. Then you go to verse 32, he's in the garden, and he says, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John even deeper into the garden. And it says this, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Verse 34, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, 
he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. So when we look at this, we're seeing Jesus in these scenarios. But what we're focusing on today is looking at what's going on in this Last Supper. What's going on in this Passover meal. And I have here as a visual representation some things. This is what we would normally have set up similar to communion. When we would have communion on Sundays, we have a cup, we have bread. Simple things. You know, I think Jesus knows that it's easier for us to remember things when it's simple. So as a visual representation of what Jesus has done for us, he created this moment, and the church has for centuries recreated this moment of remembrance. Jesus said, do this to remember me. And it's, an, it's, it's like a drama. It's like a movie that we play over and over, but it's very simple. It's, a, it's just one act with two characters, a cup and some bread. It's very simple. Simple things that are broken and poured out. So this morning we're going to talk about three broken and poured out things. The first thing we're going to talk about is the meat. The second thing is the bread. And the third thing is the cup. Let's talk about broken and poured out meat. You know, the Passover was a huge celebration. The Jewish followers, the Israelites, looked forward to the Passover with great anticipation, like Christmas. It's their major holiday. They love this holiday. They spend a lot of time and energy getting ready for this holiday. And the Passover is a huge feast because they're commemorating that when they were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule, that God freed them through Moses out of captivity. He released them from their bondage and slavery. And on that night, they were told to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of their homes to signify that they had been covered by that blood. And then the Passover happened because a spirit came in, the angel of the Lord comes in, and whoever doesn't have that blood on their doorposts would die. This death angel would take their lives, the lives of their firstborn, it would say, specifically. But if you had the blood, then the firstborn was rescued. You were passed over. And then they would eat the, the sacrificed lamb, all of it, they had to consume all of it. And then they would eat unleavened bread. And so this is actually, the Passover is actually one part of an eight-day uh, festival. It's the beginning of eight days called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread is actually the whole week. But the Passover starts that week. And so they would eat that, but they would eat unleavened bread, which is what this is today, this flat. Um, thing is, has no leaven in it. It doesn't rise. Because Jesus warned about yeast and how yeast would permeate the entire loaf of bread. So he said, eat unleavened bread because he has to make it quickly because we're going to eat this 
The Passover is going to come, and then we're going to flee out of Egypt. And so this is what they're commemorating, and they're remembering it each year. But it's, it's interesting to me that none of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, mention the meat in the Passover festival. The Passover meal was not vegan, okay? It had meat. It has meat still to this day. But in the Gospels, when Jesus is with his disciples, none of it mentions meat. So what kind of Passover was this that it would be celebrated without lamb as the main course? Well, Tim Keller said there was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. Jesus is the main course of the Passover. John chapter 1 verse 29, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who has taken away, who will take away the sins of the world. Isaiah chapter 53 says this, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. I have that in bold. He was numbered with the transgressors. Second Corinthians says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin. He was numbered with the transgressors. The Passover in Mark, they're celebrating freedom from bondage and slavery. But Jesus inaugurates a new Passover where we celebrate freedom from bondage to sin and death by feasting on the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our meat. Well, the bread was also broken and poured out. Is this in verse 22? And as they, were, as they were eating, he took bread. And in Mark it says, after blessing it. The other gospels say he gave thanks for it. And it says, this was unleavened bread, so it was just like this. It says, he broke it. He broke it. He blessed it, or gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And then it says, and then he gave it. Gave thanks, broke it, gave it. These are the words of God. They're not insignificant. They're very important, each one. So, broken things. John, if you have your Bibles... Look real quick at John chapter 12. Uh, John 12 says this. This is just so interesting when Jesus says things. John 12, 24. It says, Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. It's interesting, he talks about this seed. This seed is, uh, the, Greek, the Greek is this, a specific kind of seed he's talking about. It's called gumnos seed. And this gumnos seed, it actually goes and, you know, we dry out seeds. We dry them out. You can't take a wet seed out of a plant, like open up a cucumber and seeds are wet and you take them and you drop them in the ground. That's not going to grow. You got to dry them out. The seeds have to die. The wheat kernels, this, this gumnos seed that, that Jesus is talking about is the dead seed, the dried up seed. It's, it's dead. Because once the seed dies, from it life comes. From it the fruit is produced. And that's what he's talking about. So broken things. The seed must break. It goes into the ground. It's dead. And it breaks open. And life comes out of it. The seed must break in order to give us wheat. The soil breaks open to give us these crops. The sky breaks open to give us rain. The wheat kernels break open to give us bread. The bread is broken at the feast to give us life. Broken things are glorious things. When he says he gives thanks or he blesses it, it's the Greek word eucharisteo. It's where we get our phrase, our, our word eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper. It's giving thanks. But inside of that Greek word, and I say the Greek word not to try to brag that I know Greek because I really don't know that much. But eucharisteo. Inside of that, it's like a seed. There are some absolutely powerful words. One of the words that's in there, eucharisteo, charis, means grace. We have grace inside of the communion of the Lord's Supper. Kara is in there also. The root of charis, grace, is kara, which is the Greek word joy. Jesus gives thanks. Jesus blesses this meal. Jesus breaks the bread and gives us grace and gives us joy. These are firmly rooted in this Eucharist supper. And as I think about as Jesus first gives thanks, when he's about to feed the 5,000, he gives thanks. Eucharisteo. Then he feeds. When I think about that, I think, is my joy in life tied to my thankfulness? Jesus took bread and he held it up and he gave thanks. Eucharisteo. He gave grace to the disciples that day and to us every day. He gives us joy found in him. Jesus took this. He broke it. And then he gave. The order of that is powerful for us as we think about that. Jesus was broken for us on the cross. And then he gave himself away. Remembering this, 
makes Christ known and present to this world in us. He was broken for my brokenness. When I stand right here as a sinner, I feel unworthy and broken. Yet, in Jesus' eyes today, I am seen as righteous, clean, worthy, full. So the meat was broken for us. The lamb was slaughtered that we may have life. The bread was broken for us and given to us so that we may have grace and joy. And the cup, the cup was poured out. Jesus' life was poured out on the cross when he shed his blood. His blood was poured out. When they pierced his heart, water came out because there's no blood left in there. The sack around his heart burst. But yet, we also see a picture into this when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks God a specific question in 1436. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. See, the Old Testament would use a cup as a symbol of God's wrath. And it would literally say that on the nations, on the entire world, the wrath of God, and there's something in here, so I can't actually like turn it up, but that the wrath of God would be completely poured out over them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it would be like that all of a sudden, if I, if, if there was a cup that contained God's wrath, and I was standing here, and that cup was dumped on me. What that would be like. You see, that's what Jesus was experiencing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He understood that the cup of God's wrath was about to be turned up and poured on him. Every bit of it that he was about to drink to the dregs, the very bottom, not a drop left, the cup of God's wrath and judgment against sin. But he's the innocent party. I should be the one to drink this to the bottom. I'm the one that's the rebel. I'm the one that's the transgressor. I'm the one that's the sinner. But Jesus takes the cup of God's wrath and he drains it for me on my behalf. All of it. He doesn't leave a drop. If there was a drop left of God's wrath, we would all be in trouble. But Jesus took it all. It's this word in the New Testament is called propitiation. He takes the entire brunt, full force of God's anger and wrath against sin upon himself and deflects it away from us so that we no longer have to fall under the judgment that we deserve for sin. So in this garden, Jesus is experiencing this. Now, I'm, I learned something fascinating when I started studying this. In first century Jewish weddings, 
when a man would go up to a father and ask for permission to marry his daughter, the family would pour a cup. And then the father and the mother would drink it. The future son-in-law would drink it. And then the future son-in-law would take the cup to his future wife as an act of proposal. This is how they proposed in the first century. They didn't have diamond rings. They had a cup. So he would give this, the future groom would give this cup to his future wife, and he would say this phrase. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. This was his proposal. This was his down on one knee with a diamond ring kind of situation. He's offering it to her. Nowhere was this phrase used except in proposals. It was never used in the Passover. Yet in the Gospels, Jesus takes the cup. He puts it in front of his disciples and he says, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. He totally changed the Passover. He totally changed it to become a wedding proposal. The Last Supper is Jesus, the groom, saying to his bride, the church, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. is amazing. This is Jesus making a proposal to his bride, the church. In other words, Anne Voskamp's a writer, she said this. In other words, Jesus says to you with this cup, I love you. I want you. I choose you. I covenant myself to you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which I offer to you. Do you love me? Will you covenant yourself to me? And when the, white, when the future bride would drink it, she was saying yes to her wedding proposal. When you drink this cup, you accept the proposal. You're in. But let me ask this. Who dares to drink this? John chapter 6, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. But he says this, he says, this is the bread, and he's talking about himself. He says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. This is the true manna. Jesus is saying, I am the true manna. I am your daily bread. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When we first moved to Durham, we rented a home in the South Point area. Beautiful home, beautiful piece of land. It's really, really cool neighborhood. And the longer we stayed there, the more health problems we had. What well, was discovered underneath the house, the entire underbelly of the house was black with mold. And it was actually rotting the wood. And if that house isn't treated, it's going to cave in. <laughs> they actually offered for us to buy that house, and we were like, no way. <laughs> in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus said, don't put yeast in the bread. I mean, God said that. Jesus said later in the New Testament, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of sin, beware of religious works, beware of moralism, beware of legalism. It permeates everything. And so maybe you're thinking, how could I consume Jesus or be consumed by him? I'm the person with secrets that I don't know how to speak. I'm the person with sins that are hidden, black mold growing up the side of my soul. I'm the person who's ached with silent suffering and felt shattered at the base of crumbling foundations. Knowing what it means to be lost, ashamed in secret, broken and poured out in so many ways. Maybe you're living a life where you, things are broken. Maybe it's a relationship with someone. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's a fear of something that you don't want and wanted. Maybe it's something that's happened to you in the past that's still haunting you. Maybe it's silent suffering of disease or emotional just something distraught in you and you feel broken and you feel poured out and you feel like maybe at that moment and in those moments God might be distant so it's hard it's hard to think clearly it's hard to focus 
perfectly. It's hard to remember the message of hope in the gospel. I know. Man, I know. We've been there. Our family has walked through suffering. And I know what it's like. Remember this. The fruit of the vine was crushed to fill the cup. The bread from heaven was broken for times like these. And I ask this, will you take it? Will you drink it and seal your fate with him? Will you accept his life and offer him yours? On this slide, it's a quote by Martin Luther. It says this, By the wedding ring of faith, he shares the sins, death, and pains of hell, which are his brides. As a matter of fact, Christ makes our sins his own. Here this rich and divine bridegroom, Christ, marries this poor, wicked harlot, redeems her from all her evil, and adorns her with all his goodness. Her sins cannot now destroy her, since they were laid upon Christ and swallowed up by him. You know what, as we think about this, I think I'm ready to consume the entire stack. I think I'm ready to drink the whole bloody glass and say yes to Christ and say yes to this. My arm was and is, I guess, broken. But isn't brokenness And much more serious than that isn't brokenness. How we experience Christ. Maybe wholeness isn't reaching for perfection in my life, but maybe wholeness is actually embracing brokenness in my life. True love is a willingness to suffer for others. Christ's passion on the cross was his willingness to suffer and die. You see, no one gets to forgiveness unless something dies. Remember that Gumnas seed? Had to break open, had to die, had to break open. Avoiding brokenness is avoiding love. Christ's love is a broken love. And his broken love led to a broken death or life poured out. But isn't this the only way we experience resurrection? Resurrection is life. And that life is found in him. Now the band is going to come up. This is not a gonna, this is not official. We don't have elders and pastors up here. It's not the way we normally do this. But as the band comes up here, and they're going to play some music, and you, and this, you don't have to do this, so don't feel the pressure, but if you want to, this is my visual, but I want to open it up. 
If you want to, as an act of worship, as a time of prayer, as the band is singing, if you want to partake in this, you simply come up here, break off, dip it in the cup, and consume it as an act of worship, as a way to remember. It's not gluten-free. It's none of that. I'm sorry. But it's just here as a representation. It's here for you to partake together in an act of worship. It's open to you. But let's pray together. Lord, as we look at how your life was broken and poured out for us, and how when we even live in this broken world, broken lives, where sin, like mold, is just creeping in and is confusing us. It makes us feel shame. It makes us feel guilt. We have an enemy who's trying to come against us. He's trying to accuse us. He's constantly pointing his finger at us, telling us we're not enough, telling us we're not worthy, telling us that this isn't true, it doesn't matter. But when we look upon Christ, when we look upon what you did for us, Jesus, we see your broken body on the cross. We see your blood poured out through nails in, in your arms, nails in your feet, nails, uh, I mean, uh, the crown of thorns cutting into your brow, the spear piercing your side, the, the whip marks on your body where you took the punishment for my sin. And brokenness in this life helps us to understand the brokenness of your life and the brokenness of your death. And we embrace that. And if we embrace our sufferings, we embrace a deeper understanding of who you are and what you did for us. And we see that this life is not meant to be this way, so we live in the hope of resurrection knowing that you will return for your bride, knowing that when you extended that cup and we say yes, that nothing in this world, Romans teaches us, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Neither life nor death nor anything, neither height nor depth, nor angels nor anything can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing. Persecution. Famine, nakedness, swords, nothing. Because when we take the cup, when we accept your love, when we partake in the love that you made, the sacrifice that you made, we are in forever. You'll never turn your back on us. You'll never forsake us. You will never, ever, ever walk away from your bride, even though I am still sinning each and every day. Even though, even though, I sinned yesterday. I'm going to sin today. I'm sinning. I will do something tomorrow. There's not a drip, not a, not a single drip, nothing left of the wrath of God for me. Nothing. And God, I praise you. And we celebrate that in our singing and our worship. We celebrate the resurrection life of Jesus. May your spirit just pour into us. In Jesus' name we pray.